I love the Christmas season. I don't know about you, but I just, I feel that this is such a special time of the year. I, I love the core message of Christmas, which is that God himself reached down to save us and to bring us close to him. This grips my soul, and Christmas is all about God coming near. But a God who came down, who came close, and that is something that is certainly worth celebrating. So let's read part of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, when verses 18 through 23. So again, Matthew 1, read verses 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amen. The parallel passage in another gospel of Luke chapter 1 sheds some light on what Matthew chapter 1 here is describing. See, in Luke 1, it describes how the angel Gabriel visited Mary. It tells us that they were not yet married, that they were betrothed, so it was a legal engagement. And the angel Gabriel tells Mary how the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon her and that she would become pregnant, that she would conceive a child without a husband, with no man. And so Matthew 1 here describes an angel delivering a message from God to Joseph. Now, if you can just imagine, I know that this story is so familiar to us, but just think for a moment. If you're Joseph, and you love Mary, and you look forward to marrying her and living your life with her and having children, just having the joy of marriage. And then you find out that your fiancé is pregnant and it wasn't you. You are not the one that caused that. You would be crushed. You'd be so disappointed. And then she tells you, no, 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 this is a miracle. I, I've been faithful to you. I did not cheat on you. An angel appeared to me and told me that the Holy Spirit would conceive and I'm going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And Joseph probably thought, what are you smoking? Like, that? no, that's crazy. We're just regular people. Wait, wait, what's wrong with you? And he didn't believe her. He, it was just too much, too fantastic, too supernatural. And he says, no, 
you cheated on me, and you know it, Mary. And, but see, it says here that he was a just man. He feared God. He loved God. He loved Mary. And even though he was convinced she, that she cheated on him, because he loved her, he didn't want to shame her publicly. He chose to leave her and the legal engagement, so a divorce in that sense, and the engagement legally, but to do it quietly and not publicly disgrace and shame her. But then an angel here appears to him in a dream and says, do not leave Mary. Do not fear marrying her because the baby that is growing inside of her says is from the Holy Spirit. She's telling the truth. It is not too fantastic. It is not too supernatural. It is the power of God. And God has chosen your fiancé to give birth to the Savior of the world. And so the angel instructs him in verse 21. We read it again. angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Just like in, in the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua in English means the same thing, the Lord saves. So God, through his messenger, the angel, says you will call him the Lord saves. So you call him Jesus. Now, this was promised 700 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. So this is not a surprise. God had it all planned and promised, and he's accomplishing his purposes through the Messiah, the anointed one who would come. And so we read earlier in the worship gathering out of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so God already saw this coming because God already had a plan to make it come to pass. Where the Messiah would come, God himself would come, conceived not of a man, of the Spirit of God, but give birth through a woman. And so through the Spirit's inspiration, you have here Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 23. And he says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This right here is the meaning of Christmas, because Emmanuel means God with us. That's what the word means. So that's what Christmas is all about. That's why we celebrate it, because we're celebrating God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel. So let me give you the main idea. So this is the primary truth from this text, that the incarnation displays the infinite glory of God. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what does the word incarnation mean? Hold on, I'll, I'll tell you. So what we're seeing here in this text from the word is that the incarnation displays the infinite glory of God. Now, to incarnate, what the word is from the Latin, what that word means to take on flesh. So, some of you speak Spanish, fellow Latinos. So, carne means meat. And so, if you're a carnivore, then you like to eat meat. And so, 
So that's what the word means. So, so the word to incarnate means to take on meat, so flesh, to become a human. And so next slide here. So the incarnation, what the word means is God the Son became a human, taking on flesh, just like we have. And so God who is spirit, God the Son, became a human. And so all of our Christmas festivities, however you celebrate it, whether it's with special foods or, or music or decorations or however in your home you celebrate this season, understand that all of those festivities are secondary. The point of Christmas is not decorations. All of those things, what they're for, are supposed to be reminders that point to the glory of God. And so we should be reminded through all that is the way we celebrate Christmas is that God reached down to save us. The incarnation shows that God the Son became a human. So the meaning of Christmas is Emmanuel. The meaning of Christmas is God with us. And so we're going to have a brief series the rest of this month called God with us. And so my heart's desire for the next few weeks as we get our minds around this Christmas season and what it means is that you will experience the true presence of Jesus this Christmas. That's what I want for you, that you'll experience his presence. Now, the key to being able to experience the presence of Jesus is to see his glory with the eyes of faith. So you have to see and so God wants to show you his glory. He wants to open the heavens so that you can then see him. You see, just like the sun radiates heat and light, God radiates glory. And so God's aim in all that he does in creation and in redemption, all that God does, his, gain, his aim is that we... As his image bearers, that's what we are, we bear his image, that we exist to see his glory. And then after we see it, to find joy in his glory and then to reflect it as his image bearers. And we reflect his glory, we have to first see it, and delight in it, and then we can reflect it with how we live our daily lives. And so God is revealing who he is through his word, which is why worship gatherings here are focused on the word. We want to pray his word. We want to read his word and, and preach his word and hear his word and sing the word and respond to the word because it's through the word that he is revealed. And so we hear it. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so hearing is the means. That's the way that this works. We hear it. But the goal is to see the glory of God. So hearing is the means, seeing is the goal. So the aim of all of our hearing of God's word is that through then the Spirit opens our eyes with the eyes of faith. We will then see the truth of who God is. And so we want to see him with our eyes of faith. And the means is we hear his word. So the incarnation displays the infinite glory of God. Well, how? Let me give you three truths from this text, from Matthew 1, 18 through 23. 
three truths that revealed the magnificence of who our God is. It reveals the glory of Jesus. And I pray that we will have our eyes of faith open, that the Spirit would then be active so that we can see Jesus more clearly, and then we will love him more deeply. And so the incarnation, truth number one, is that Jesus is God. What you see in this text is that Jesus is God. So this Christmas story makes it very clear that Jesus is not just a prophet. He is not a good man or a great teacher. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God himself. Remember in verse 20, the angel tells Joseph that the life that's growing in Mary did not come from any human being. He says that God the Father sent God the Son, and then God the Spirit accomplished this miracle in conceiving in Mary. And so Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. So by Jesus' life, his claims, and even his resurrection, he is proving He is showing that he is not just a prophet who is telling people how to find God. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is God who came to find us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. See, there's a reason why people in the New Testament continually bowed down and worship at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus received that worship. There's a reason why 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says that Jesus is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God and Savior. Jesus is our God. And Christmas points to the truth that God the Son became a human. But the question for us is practically, like, does that mean as we live our daily lives what is the significance that Jesus is God well if he is God that it has to impact there are implications let me give you two one there's a lot but this is just keep it somewhat concise one implication is that we must respond so if indeed Jesus is God and the Bible says that he is then we must respond so the all-powerful God that had no beginning, took on human nature, but he did so without losing his divine nature. So he is completely divine, completely God, but also fully and completely human. He is both 100%. So this truth, you will either receive this truth that Jesus is God, or you're going to reject. So receive or reject, and we make that choice. So you will either adore Jesus, like we sing at Christmas, oh, come let us adore him. So you will either adore Jesus or you're going to be apathetic towards Jesus. But he does demand a response. This we can't be mistaken about. So if Jesus really is God, then our whole lives must be centered upon him. So we must bow down and worship him. What does this look like in daily life? Well, it looks like you trust him. We trust him. We treasure him. And when we are trusting and we are truly 
treasuring and valuing above everything else, and that leads to obeying Him. So obedience flows from trust and treasuring Him. See, our world, and sadly even churches, are filled with people that claim that they believe in Jesus and that they say that they know who He is and that He is God. And yet, they're not transformed. Their daily lives, there's no lasting impact or change There's no awe in who Jesus is. And you think, well, how is that possible? How could someone know Jesus and not actually change them? Because they haven't fully grasped that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But make no mistake that our daily thoughts, desires, words, and actions reveal our response. We can say, oh, yes, I trust Jesus, and I treasure him, and I obey him. I mean, we could say that, but how we actually live our daily lives is revealing the truth of our response to Jesus. Not just lip service, but your thoughts when it's just you. How you spend your money, how you talk to your wife, how you talk to your husband, how you treat your children your work ethic, when the boss isn't around. Our daily lives, do we really treasure Jesus? We say we do, but do we really value him? Is he on your minds or in conversation with him? And Does it impact how we speak to people or about people? So how we live our lives is a reflection of our response, whether it's adoring or being apathetic towards Jesus. But another implication that Jesus is God is that we have an everlasting hope. So we have to respond to him as God and king, but we also have everlasting hope because he is God. And so this Christmas message gives us great hope. Why? It gives us hope because it shows that God is both holy and loving. He is both. You think, well, why is that such a source of hope? Well, just think, if God were only holy, and he were not a loving God, but just a holy God, then there'd be no Christmas. There'd be no incarnation, because God would not have reached down to save us. Why? Because God would have said, well, I'm holy. Now you have to reach up to me. From heaven, God would have been crying out to us, saying, come on up. Do your best. Work harder. Do more prayers. Be a good person. Become more holy. Earn your salvation. Earn my love. I'm holy. Come reach up to me with how well you do. Well, we know that that's not hope at all because we all fall short. And we would never be able to reach up to God. And so if God were just holy, we'd have no hope to reach the holy standard. But on the other hand, if, if God were only loving, he also would not have come. God wouldn't have have come. There'd be no Christmas, no incarnation if God were only a God of love. Well, why bother with Christmas? If he's only a God of love and he's not a holy God, which, by the way, that is the God of our imagination of the 21st century, a God who is love but is not holy. This is the God that we hear about today. If God is love and not holy, then that means that there is no absolute standard for holiness. There is no standard for what's right and wrong. There's no such thing as 
sin. Right and wrong don't exist. That is up to the personal preference, what's right for you. It might not be right for me. And society defines what is morality, but there's no absolute standard for righteousness or right or wrong. And so there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as a holy standard. And God is so loving. Why bother coming down to save people from sin that doesn't even exist? It makes no sense. God wouldn't come. There's no sin to be saved from. I'm okay, you're okay. This God of relativism or God of moralism, this legalism, either way, there will be no incarnation. There will be no Christmas and there will be no reason for God to come down. But you see, the message of Christmas gives us everlasting hope because it reveals a God who is holy and who is loving. We have sinned. There is an absolute standard for right and wrong, and we have broken that standard, which is the character of God is the standard, and we do deserve judgment. And we can never reach up to him, but because he is love, he reached down to come rescue so this message gives you hope in, in your failures. Jesus loves you. In your fears, Jesus loves you. In your struggles, Jesus loves you. In your uncertainty, Jesus loves you. In your pain, Jesus loves you. He loves you. And the message of Christmas proves it. He came to take away your sin, to make a way for you to be one with God, to be reconciled with the Father. And so the incarnation, God the Son becoming a human, to come down and reach for us, displays his infinite glory. Number one, because he is God. Number two, Jesus is human. Matthew 1 makes it clear that Jesus was fully God, but also fully human born of a woman like you and me. And so Jesus was fully God, but he humbled himself by taking on humanity. So Jesus, as the God-man, perfect human, could pay the penalty for our sins. Otherwise, we have to pay for it ourselves. And so God did not send a prophet. He did not send a messenger. God came himself. But this is critical to understand. Now, I've shared this before. But our church has such turnover, so a lot of you probably haven't heard this. But when I was 20 years old, I know a very long time ago, I, I loved Bonnie, and I wanted to marry her. And I wanted to live the rest of my life with her. We're in university, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I saved up, and I, I bought a diamond ring, and I wanted to propose to her to marry me. Now, suppose I had sent one of my best friends. I said, here. This is a ring that I bought for Bonnie, and I want you to go with her tonight and make sure it's a lovely evening. Make sure she has flowers, okay, and, and get whatever she wants on the menu, and then after dinner, I want you to get on one knee and ask her to marry me, and to so go for me in my place and say, Bonnie, will you marry Matthew? And then if she says yes, 
then give her a big hug for me, and then come tell me what she said. That's ridiculous. You would never send someone to do something like that. Why? Because you would go personally to pursue the one that you love. So in matters of love, you go personally. A messenger would not do. God himself came down. He is human. He is here. He is near. And he came to pursue you as a human. Now, what is the implication of this? Let me give you a couple of them in this point. One implication that Jesus is a human is that we serve and we love the unlovable. Oftentimes, this is called incarnational ministry. So I will get into all of the ins and outs what that looks like. But here it is very simply and concisely. We serve and we love the people that we would consider to be not worth loving. We follow the example of Jesus, how he came, he incarnated. He came, became a human. He humbled himself. He loved the broken. He showed mercy to those that were killing him. He reached out to those that were on the fringe of society. And so he loved and he served those that were unlovable. And so he displayed the glory of of God, and we have the privilege of doing the same and having an incarnational approach to our lives and ministry where we go and we reach out to those that are far from God, those that are broken on the fringe of society. We go and we invest in them, even if it means you get hurt or dirty. Jesus did it. He's transformed us. We get to display his glory by having that same heart. And so do you have a servant's heart? Do you extend mercy to those who have hurt you? Do you forgive those who have hurt you? Jesus did. And if you're, and if you're struggling with loving and serving those that are really not lovable, then, then you need a fresh vision of Jesus. You need to experience his presence like you never have before, for his presence is what makes you whole and healthy. And so because he is a human, we now model that and we serve others. But next implication that he's a human is that we have hope in suffering. I mentioned that we have hope, and we do, this ultimate, everlasting hope, but we also have specifically hope in suffering. You see, Christmas reveals the glory of God because God the Son became a human and he was betrayed and he was abandoned and he had to face death. Have you ever experienced those things? Have you ever been abandoned or or suffered or been betrayed? Jesus did. Have you ever cried out to God with a prayer, deep heartfelt, begging God for something, and then God answers your prayer, and he says, no, I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry, my daughter. I, I cannot give you that which you're asking for. And he says, no. Have you felt the pain of that? Jesus did. The night before he was crucified, 
sweating blood. He cried out. He poured his heart out to the Father, and he says, may this cup be taken from me. And the Father said, no. See, what we see with Jesus, someone that was, what he wanted most was the glory of God. He wanted to please the Father more than anything else, even if it meant his own discomfort. The gospel and this Christmas message reveals that we can trust our God no matter the circumstances because we have a God who became a human who experienced all the pain and darkness that you suffer. Your God knows, and he cares. But he has a plan, and he's accomplishing it to display his glory even through your life. And so this Christmas message that God the Son became a human gives you hope in your suffering that you can trust God. Because Jesus triumphed through suffering, and the Spirit can sustain you to do the same. And so the incarnation displays the glory of God and that he, Jesus, is God and Jesus is human. Number three, Jesus is with us. He is fully God fully human, and Jesus is, number three, with us. Let me read two verses, 21 through 23, one more time. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, that's what God's always wanted in his plan is to be near to his people, which is why in the Garden of Eden, he was walking right there with Adam and Eve. And then later in the story, we see when they sinned and, and they broke that relationship, God still wanted to be close to them. So whenever they were in the wilderness, God instructed Moses to build a tabernacle to have his presence right there with them. And then later, Moses, the son, I'm sorry, not Moses, Solomon, the son of David, built the temple, which is where God's presence was, dwelling with his people, which is why John 1.14 says that Jesus dwelt, the word there is tabernacled. He lived, he was right there. He dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of from the Father, God dwelling with his people, God being near and with us. So that's God's plan for us to live with him, to enjoy him forever. And Jesus made it possible because he came. And that's what Christmas is all about. God removing our sin that had painfully broken that relationship as Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice, paying the price for us so that we can then experience the presence of God and be near to him. What are the implications of this? Implications that Jesus is with us. One is you can now enjoy God. We can enjoy God. Jesus came to save his people from their sin so that we can live in his presence of a holy God forever. 
Now, we will have that one day in heaven in the ultimate sense. But even here, on this side of heaven, in this broken world, we can still experience his presence through his spirit that is in us. We can experience his presence now. It's all about relationship. That's all this is. Don't overthink this. It is deeply spiritual, but it's, it's reading the word so that God speaks to you. Reading it slowly and thinking about it. It's praying so you talk to God. This is a two-way thing where God speaks to you and you speak to him and, and you have conversation and you feel his presence. And, and it really is what you're made to do. We're made to worship him. And we experience this as we pursue him. And God will speak to you if you will just quiet long enough to hear his voice. We have to depend on him. We can't do this if we don't depend on him. You and I can't dictate. See, the angel told Joseph, you will name, he didn't give him an option. He said, you will name the child Jesus. Now, understand that naming someone gives you authority over them. Why do you think Adam named the animals? Because he had authority over them. In the ancient world, a father would name his child. That showed authority as the patriarch, as the father of the home. And so Joseph here was robbed of a major privilege of naming his child because it wasn't his. Not his child. He didn't have authority over Jesus. No one was going to name Jesus. You don't get to name Jesus. You don't have authority over him. He names you. He calls you his own. He made you and he bought you. And so you belong to him. He's the king. He has the authority. So we submit to him, and that's where we find joy. So we honestly enjoying Jesus. You can say on a Friday morning, but are you living your life daily where you are truly enjoying him, depending upon him, yearning to be near to him? Next implication that Jesus is with us is that we can be bold for God. So we, we can enjoy him because of this salvation being close to him, but we can be bold for him. Joseph lived his whole life with other people looking down on him because his whole community believed that his fiance was unfaithful and that he married her anyway, shaming himself. And so he had to live his whole life with other people looking down on him and judging him. It would have been much easier to just leave Mary and marry someone else and not have to endure that societal shame, especially in a shame-honor culture like we live here today that Joseph was in in the ancient world. And yet, he was bold for God, and he endured the shame because he knew that the truth was that he was glorifying God even though others were looking down on him. And so we, when we know that God is with us, we have Emmanuel, it gives us strength and courage to be bold for him. And so what is God calling you to do that you've just been too afraid to do? You think, no, I can't do that. 
No, that's just too much for me. There's no way I could ever do that. Well, maybe that's true in your own strength. But God with you, sustaining you, you can do it. If you'll depend on him. And he wants to use you if you'll be bold for him. I love the missionary of the 18th century who went to India, William Carey. His famous phrase was, Attempt big things for God. Do big things for God. You attempt small things for God, then you'll do small things for God. We can be bold for him because he is with us. And whatever it costs, he is worth it. We can be bold people who face our sin, walk in purity, and are on mission for him. Christmas truly is wonderful. It should fill us with the sense of hope, but also the sense of awe that God the Son reaching down to save us. Honestly, this should leave us stunned. This should be overwhelming to us, and we should respond with hearts that are just overwhelmed and yearn for more of Him and for His glory. So I pray that this Christmas that you will see the glory of God and that you experience His presence like you never have before. And if you don't know him, then you can meet him. And you can experience this as well. Come talk to me. I would love to introduce you to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we are humbled, as we are every week, that you would speak to us, that you would love us. We thank you that you came. You didn't have to come. You would have been well within your rights of holiness to stay in heaven and let us burn for we have sinned against you but thank you that you have loved us and so you came we praise you for the incarnation of your son becoming a human to represent us on the cross so that we can experience the joy of salvation help us to be on mission for you May we experience your presence this Christmas, and we ask it for your glory in the name of Jesus.